Welcome back to this is the fourth episode of Frost, the Canadian Cold Case Podcast. First, I'd like to mention that Frost can be found on most social media platforms. We have a great Facebook group uh, under the same name. And we can also be found on Twitter, Instagram, and MeWe. I'd also like to thank everybody for sticking by us. As over the last month, I've had schedule problems and technical difficulties that have delayed the release of a new episode. So thank you very much. So with that all over, I'm going to get to the topic of today's episode. We will be looking at the the August 30th, 2010 disappearance and murder of Sonia Broshin that occurred in Orangeville, Ontario. From what I could find... Sonia was a fun-loving, bubbly woman who was very active, loved to hike, ski, and bike ride. She was also reportedly well-traveled. During her life, she had a older brother who unfortunately passed away when he was just a kid, uh, and two younger siblings, a brother and a sister. She enjoyed cooking and spent a fair amount of her life exploring a variety of different paths, including fashion and working at a theme park in Ontario called Wonderland. Her path, however, would eventually lead to the medical field and she would attend Humber College and would eventually become a nurse. She would spend a period of time in Toronto uh, before eventually making her way to Orangeville, Ontario to work at the South Lake Regional Health Centre in Newmarket, Ontario. She would also end up buying a townhouse in Orangeville, which is very similar to the town that she grew up in. By the time she disappeared, Sonia was 42 years old had been living mostly alone, uh, reportedly with a cat, but had been seeing a gentleman that had uh, immigrated from uh, the United Kingdom uh, named Ian Rushton, I think his last name was, and she seemed to be happy, although it appeared that her job was starting to take a toll on her. It appeared that there was starting to be some problems with a supervisor, and there apparently was even a possible workplace injury that appeared to be being contested between a couple of different sources, although the claim was eventually paid out. This apparently did end up causing her to quit her position at the health center, and she moved on to a different job in Mississauga, a position at which she appeared to be happy, at least for the month that she had been working there. As we move along, we reach to the point of August 29th, 2010, when Sonia stopped at her parents' house, where she talked with her parents and her car apparently got cleaned. She would eventually leave her parents place after telling her mother that she would call later however she wouldn't and the afternoon of august 29th 2010 would be the last time that her parents would see her alive because somewhere between the afternoon of the 29th and the morning of the 30th sonya would disappear 
According to a couple of different sources, this is the timeline that we have reported. During the afternoon or early evening of August 29th, Sonia leaves her parents to head back home. On the 30th, Sonia does not end up showing up for work. At 10 a.m. on Monday, August the 30th, her white Toyota Corolla was found abandoned in an alley behind a Broadway business. Its front doors and trunk were open, and blood smears were visible on the rear bumper. The individuals who discovered the vehicle called the police in, and the police ran the license plate number, came back to Sonia Verishin, and the police went to her townhouse to investigate. When they arrived, the police found even more blood and found that Sonia was nowhere to be found. One of the things that they did notice, however, was that there appeared to be no sign of fourth century. That afternoon, the Barishan family would report Sonia missing, which would lead eventually to the police formally identifying her as a missing person and releasing her description to the public in hopes to find her. It wouldn't be until Wednesday, September 1st, that the police would concede that Sonia most likely had met with foul play. Along with this announcement came security footage recorded early on August 30th of a minivan in the area where Sonia's car was found. They were asking for the driver to come forward. Within a few hours of this announcement, the driver of the minivan did come forward, spoke with the investigators, but was unable to add any useful information about the vehicle and or when it was abandoned. The police requested further information during a news conference on Friday, September the 3rd, when lead investigator, detective inspector, Mark Pritchard asked the public to help find blood-stained beige or cream-colored bed coverings that had disappeared from Sonia's home. Unfortunately, the bad news would continue, and shortly before 9 a.m. on Sunday, September 5th, when an individual walking in a wooded area off Beach Grove Side Road discovered human remains. Later in the day, the coroner officially confirmed that the remains were human. It wouldn't be until two days later, on Tuesday, September the 7th, in which the search for Sonia would be officially become a murder investigation after an autopsy confirmed that the remains were that of Sonia Verishin. One of the more interesting facts of the case would come out after the announcement of the autopsy report. It became apparent that the police believed that the killer or killers took Sonia from her home and brought her to the location of her, of her body in her car. So they asked that anybody who saw her car between the afternoon of Sunday, August 29th and Monday, August 30th to come forward. Also announced on Wednesday, September 9th during a news conference that the bed coverings that they had been searching for had been recovered. However, they did not tell the public of particulars on where they found them, how they found them, or who told them where to find them. During the same news conference, Pritchard said Verishin's killer was likely wearing a men's size 10 or 11 Dakota or Wind River boot. He once again called upon the public for assistance, asking residents to report anyone with stained boots that match 
that description, who just disposed of their boots, or does so following the police announcement. And that appears to be where it ends. A couple of possibilities have since come up in the preceding years, almost nine and a half years of it, in fact. Rumors of Sonia having issues with three young men that lived a few doors away from her have been pointed out, and problems with her co-worker has also been pointed out as a possible source of friction that may have led to this unfortunate event. Also, questions have arisen about the possible boyfriend, but I haven't found much information on him in the investigation. The one thing that may have led to friction with the boyfriend, this Ian fellow, is that reports are Sonia was a frequenter of dating sites, but those are only rumors. The other rumors that have been floating around the community are that she was bludgeoned to death as she was completely unrecognizable when she was found. Also that the perpetrator was most likely a local due to knowing knowing the area well enough that his choice of locations for dropping the car and the body seemed to have possibly create a delay in finding them. Also he or she was able to do so without drawing too much attention. It is possible that the perpetrator or perpetrators did not get away as cleanly as they thought. A video has been released that shows a couple of individuals at a gazebo near where the car was abandoned and the police are looking for information leading to the identities of these individuals. In addition to the video released, the police have not been sitting on their hands while doing the investigation. They do not consider this a cold case, although it's been nearly 10 years. They have gone to extreme heights to try to solve this. They have even called in members of the RCMP, the OPP, and other police services, including the FBI behavioral analysis teams out of uh, the states and they have even managed to come up with a profile of sorts. And I'll read from it here for you. Detective Inspector Mark Pritchard of the OPP said that the Beach Grove side road in the town of Caledon, where Miss Averishan's body was found, is a location that the offender may be comfortable with and is likely known to him, whether as a result of recreation, occupation, or illegal activity. He also said that in the days following the murder, the killer may have displayed behaviors seen as out of the ordinary by those who interacted with him, including unexpected absences from his usual activities such as missing work, school, or appointments. killer may have increased his alcohol or drug use and may have been irritable, agitated, or anxious. Investigators also said Miss Verishin may have been known to her killer or killers. The inspector also would not say whether the OPP had any suspects, but during the period of time since the murder, it has been confirmed that the police do have a sample of the killer's DNA. So my opinion on the case, well, gotta say this one's a head scratcher. The police are holding back a fairly large amount of information that would help get give a person a real opinion on what may have happened without knowing a murder weapon, any suspects, 
or even a confirmed way of how she may have died. It's really hard to form an opinion, and I'm assuming that the supposed boyfriend would have been the first one checked, especially with the DNA. So I can't really lock it down. Um, the mysterious three neighbors probably would be the quickest, easiest uh, opinion to go with, but I'm assuming they would have checked them out first too, so really can't say. However, is it solvable? Well, they got DNA. We don't know if they have a murder weapon, but they've got DNA. Where the DNA came from, who knows. But because there's DNA, it probably is solvable. They've solved things with less than that, so time will tell. Hopefully they keep it up and it gets solved. My best wishes go out to the family and I hope they get the final closure sooner than later. That's all for this case. It's only about 10 years old, so somebody out there has got to know something. And if you do, there is a $50,000 award for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual responsible. If you think you happen to know something that might help, you are invited to call the OPB tip line at 519-941-2522 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. So for today's funny Canadian criminal story, I've got to admit the COVID-19 scare gave me a little bit of a amuse for this one. Because $17,000 worth of hand soap was stolen from a business on Spence Avenue in Hawkesbury, Ontario. So when was this? Was this just this week? Because they wanted to make sure they didn't get the coronavirus? No, this was back in 2016. And from what I can see, the police have not been able to catch the individuals. So I guess they got a clean getaway. Okay, I swear that will be the last horrible pun. Until the next time. Yay. Thank you for listening. Alright, so I have a special second helping of funny Canadian criminal stories. This one's out of Prince George, BC. Mounties in Prince George had to go with the flow or on the ice flow. Yes, sorry, promised I wouldn't do a pun, but this one's just in the story. When arresting a woman for break and enter, mischief and resisting arrest. Residents in the nearby community of Meworth called police to report she had interrupted a robbery in her home and that when the female suspect took off, she narrowly missed the homeowner but hit the woman's vehicle. The suspect's vehicle was found nearby and police called in a tracking dog. The woman was then found on an ice floe in the Nechaco River where police say she had started a fire on the ice. It's a pretty slow way to get away but a pretty Canadian one at that. Wonder if she was trying to stay warm or destroy the getaway vehicle. Who knows? And now I share a couple of podcasts that have shown support for Frost. The first is Bat in the Boondocks, a true crime podcast about crimes committed by rednecks. But here are the hosts to tell you all about it. I'm Stan. And I'm Drew, and we're your host of Bat in the Boondocks. Bat in the Boondocks is a fresh take on true crime podcasts. We are a father and son team from way back in the sticks of South Carolina. Yeah, and a town of less than 500, and we have a shared passion for all things true crime. So every week we get together and swap stories about true crime events. We try and find the most twisted and vile losers of our human race. Now you won't hear a lot of endless banter on Bad in the Boondocks. But what you will hear is all the unedited facts on the cases that we choose. 
no matter how gory or troublesome they are. And you'll hear it all with a unique Southern flair. And along the way, you'll hear just the right amount of discussion and jokes to keep you and us from completely losing our mind. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms or just go to boondockspod.com and binge all of our episodes there. So come on down to the boondocks and get your redneck on with us. We promise you'll have a good time. Definitely a fun and interesting podcast worth listening to. All right, and our second podcast is True Crime Real Time, another Canadian podcast uh, centered out of southern Ontario. And here are some clips and Genevieve talking about her podcast. We were able to capture some fingerprints, but again, same as the DNA, we haven't been able to, to match that to anybody. He's probably one of the biggest considered open-hearted people that I knew. But, you know, honestly, he had uh, an addiction too, right? Get the writing, we can talk. There's a possibility here that there were childhood traumas. We're trying to turn every stone to, to find evidence. This is Genevieve Germain, host of True Crime Real Time. Join me on a bi-weekly dive into the lives of the missing and murdered. Available wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll never know who else you'll meet along the way. So thank you, Stan, thank you, Drew, and thank you, Genevieve, for your continued support of Frost. I highly recommend everybody go and check out these awesome podcasts and let your friends know. But that'll be all for today. Hope you join us the next time for our next case. Who knows where in Canada we'll end up. I'm not even sure myself. But hope to see you, and thank you for your continued support. If you want to make a case suggestion or drop some useful hints on how to make the podcast even better, I recommend heading over to your email and emailing me at thelazysherlock at hotmail.com. I take all criticism and will try my best to incorporate all suggestions. Have a good evening.